0: Podcast? Nope. Merry Merry pod mess. Nope. Uh, Potty Christmas. Nope. No. Nope. Felice Uh, Navipod. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, hmm. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Is it worse or better? It's not great. It's not great. Uh, Hi, everybody.
1: I'm Andrew. Merry Christmas Eve. We can all agree that it's that. Certainly. At least. No one would disagree that right now... At this time, it's Christmas Eve. Not well, for I'm me.
2: Gonna- but that's cool. Oh, god oh, damn, damn it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, I'm Andrew. I'm here with Ben. Hey, Hello, Ben. Um, and we are joined by a guest, a guest um, a la Internacional <laughs> That's right, folks. All the way from the snowy tundras of Canada, uh, from the Sleezoids podcast, it's Josh Lewis.
2: Hey, how's it going, everyone? Very good. Very good. It's good actually not afternoon. snowy right now, it's unfortunate. God. Oh. We can't we can't even brag about it. It's terrible. That it's not Christmas Eve and it's not snowing. I right. feel
1: like you'd want to cancel all of Christmas if it didn't snow if you're in North America. Like surely it'd just feel pointless.
2: This whole planet like- heating up thing is having some, some effects on us over here in <laughs> and Canada. This is
1: one of the most serious ones. <laughs>
2: dire effects. Some
0: dire effects. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, I'm uh, currently on a... technically on an island. Australia? No, another (laughs) island. In the Shoalhaven Peninsula. I think it's... is it a peninsula, Shoalhaven? I don't even know what or where that is. Oh, New South Wales. Ugh, no thank you. Better than the old South Wales. Well, no one likes New South Wales, come on no one wants to hear those i have opinions about waiting. all these places for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely let's get <laughs> it
1: just based on sound alone which parts of australia don't you like
0: uh, well um it's it's very pleasant here although i achieved the very smart feat yesterday of um sunburning just the tops of both of my feet
1: oh i hate that one that is a yep. fucking nasty time yep i uh i went
0: uh paddle boarding and like paddled all all the way around this island um and i was i was very sensibly wearing a very sensible hat and like a like a long-sleeved thing and shorts and everything and i put some sunscreen on the back of my neck apparently i was not thinking about the tops of my feet that were exposed to the sun through this whole thing i'm sorry an hour or two yeah um,
1: paddleboarding when you say that are you talking about the stand-up variety yes the standing
0: Ugh. up on like a big long
1: board i hate those more than life why i, I you don't the, know the concept or I have just, you tried to do it before i don't enjoy watching people do them i think i see them from a distance and i get a feeling that they think they're better than everyone else oh we do, <laughs> we, do.
0: <laughs> we definitely do <laughs> Um, no, it's just a thing that my, my dad likes to do while he's thinking about how much he better he is than you. Your
1: beautiful, incredibly hot dad. Yep. yep. Um, so Is that I true? Like
0: to... Yes. He's a good looking man. He's nice. a
1: he's striking silver fox. <laughs>
0: mm. It's very cool now that his uh, beard has gone totally like gray and white as well.
1: I mean, admittedly, he looks almost identical to Andrew, just with white hair.
0: Yeah, so That's, I like to accept this as a compliment. It, it is. It's like a passive comment to myself. Um, but yes, it's very true. Attractive man, good at paddleboarding. His feet didn't get sunburned, so he's doing something right. You know?
1: Also great mm-hmm. at woodworking, if I recall correctly. Oh,
0: very much. Mm, very what much. a combo. What That's a beautiful, brew. Beautiful wooden toys for my children. Uh, he's building a boat. The most masculine... Uh, exercise of all just building your own uh, sailboat out of wood Mm. that's pretty boss pretty good so folks being Christmas Eve in some places not all the places uh, but being Christmas Eve in this place specifically uh, we thought we might have a little chat about some Christmas movies because we got we got the movie guy on what are we going to do what are we going to do not talk about movies I literally couldn't talk about anything else. That's true. (laughs) Contractually. I have neither the ability nor the interest in conducting a conversation about anything else. (laughs) Now, um, we did ask our listeners for questions and we were immediately threatened by a friend of the show, uh, a big bag of keys, Uh, Vino, Merry Christmas to you. Um, We were immediately threatened uh with the statement if i hear the words die hard on this podcast
1: i will kill you all i'm watching it i'm watching it tonight (laughs) i fucking i bought it on blu-ray because i previously only had dvd and i was like you know what it's seven bucks for the blu-ray right now it's such a good movie and it's great value i thought for money it's a great movie and i think it's lovely watching it one time a year and it's nice that that time is at christmas
2: yeah, uh, unfortunately it. for that guy, uh, the theater that I help program here in uh, London, Ontario, we are playing Die Hard on December twenty eighth.
1: <laughs> oh, that's simply wonderful. A friend of mine, well, she, she programs a theater in the city. She's putting it on this year. It's a uh, it's a great time here to watch Die Hard. And honestly, the like, just mute it on the internet. Just don't look. Just mute it. Those words on Twitter. Don't think about it. The weird discourse people have where it's like four layers deep now where people are like, well, it's actually the pushback to the pushback that's obnoxious. <laughs> that shit <laughs> sucks. Just it's a good movie. It's fucking takes place at Christmas. Just watch it at Christmas. Just Stop being an ass. Soak it in.
0: Um I I did see somebody say the only the only relevant or coherent thing that I saw anyone <laughs> say about it this year was that all of the um very tired discourse around uh, Die Hard's status as a Christmas movie really obscures the fact that it is definitely uh, one of the best action movies that has ever been made. Mm. McTiernan. Uh, it the King. Is. Oh, so good. If only he didn't have to go to prison for those crimes. He could have kept banging out his great <laughs> movies.
2: Absolutely. Um, I mean, to me, Die Hard's not quite Predator, but it does take place at Christmas. So Die Hard gets, you know, it, it does get something for that. But you don't got Arnie's muscles, you know. Bruce Willis, I think, a little yeah. Smaller. Predators
1: definitely near the top. Like, <laughs> I think a, like a cursory, my top five action movies. Probably Commando in number one, mm-hmm. followed by Predator, which is the same movie but with an alien added, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, is Bloodsport an action movie? Yeah, yeah,
2: definitely. we'll allow it.
1: Yeah, that in the number three, Die Hard in the number four. And I reserve the right to put anything I feel like in the number five position. Cobra. Cobra is in the number five position. Cobra's pretty good. <laughs> love a bit of Cobra. I love a bit of uh,
0: Detective Marion Cobra Cobretti. <laughs>
1: what Who uh, loves is nothing that more than- his actual name? That's the character's name, yes. Oh yep. my God. That's amazing. <laughs> he loves just pulling cold pieces of pizza out the fridge and snipping them up with scissors and putting the pieces into his mouth. <laughs> beautiful psycho
0: that's a great um, that's a great action movie trope is the um, like the grizzled veteran cop who's such a piece of shit that he like doesn't know how to eat food mm. um, I, I really like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in End of Days
1: um, oh the, as the, the Jericho satanic... Kane, is that his <laughs> fucking name yes, yes. Oh. No, that's a great name that is so the what's the worst. idea there
2: he, he's just like he's alienated himself so much from everyone that he just never learned how to eat properly oh he's i I think it's
0: more of a um i think it usually comes off more as like an extension of the character's uh lack of self-regard and care for their own well-being you know Mm. um Mm. so he's already a drunk he's already like super hungover every time he wakes up and um in end of days he gets up and he starts just like shoving stuff into a blender he's like (laughs) pouring like half a beer shoving in a slice of pizza cracking some eggs in there and all that sort of stuff (laughs) And then he blitzes the whole thing up and and chugs it down.
1: In fairness, that is probably how he lives in real life.
0: (laughs) You do have to just consume calories if you're going to be that size. Uh, I do love a a McTiernan movie. I think he's a top McTier director. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. We're going to barrel on through that one. Mm. (laughs) Um,
1: What's what's the Antonio Banderas one? Uh, The 12th? Warrior, the oh, the thirteenth warrior. Thirteenth warrior. It's based on the Michael Crichton uh, novella that is based on Beowulf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no,
0: that's it's an underrated movie. I reckon it's a, like a, a Middle Ages. Um, Antonio Banderas gets banished from his uh, Middle Eastern uh, kingdom, and he gets sent off to accidentally gets sent to Viking times. <laughs> and has to fight fight some some monsters.
1: I think I saw that movie when I was maybe like 10 and I was just very much under the impression I was not supposed to be watching this very violent movie. Mm-hmm. Uh so it still feels good in my brain. I think it's probably a good movie. That's my review of it from being a child.
0: <laughs> well, the other thing that stands out to me in that movie is um I, w- I was mentioning to someone the other day Adjacent to something else. Um, the scene in Hunt for Red October, when... The crazy Ivan scene. The greatest scene of all time. When they... Well, they start the movie off with the Russians speaking Russian. And then they go, this is going to get old. All this Russian and subtitles and everything. And so they have a just a little scene where somebody's like reading something out from a book. And as they're reading it in Russian, the camera goes out of focus. And as it hits its point of being most out of focus, suddenly the person's voice changes to English and then it comes back into focus. And they go, hey, this guy's speaking English now and you get it. You understand what's happening. Um, But I really like how they do that in the 13th Warrior where he's stuck on a boat for like, uh, uh, let's assume, months um, with these people who are speaking another language and he just sits silently and watches them for this entire journey. And over the course of the thing, they're having their conversations and individual words will start to come through in English as he like slowly starts to pick up the language they're speaking. Mm. That's a, it's just a very nice That's illustration of him of of them working out the okay. Now he now he speaks this language. So mm. it's better better than some other movies where like somebody oh what uh, Shanghai Night no Shanghai Noon with Jackie Chan he just yeah, has like yeah, a kid storybook. He just has like a kid's storybook that he like pours over on this journey on a train for like weeks or months or whatever and then he could just speak english at the end
1: <laughs> what's the uh, what's the bloody mel brooks comedy where um at the start they're just like you know what for the rest of the movie we're just gonna do it in english and that's literally the one thing they have like 10 seconds of german yeah, oh, that,
0: and which is just as valid a way to do it as anything else. I think. Um, so <laughs> shall we just shall we condense this down and say that uh, the accepted podcast canon is um, if the movie involves uh, Santa or Christmas as a plot device, or it takes place at Christmas, it's a Christmas movie, and that's enough for us.
1: Also, if you regularly watch it at Christmas, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> ah, see, we got a question about that too. Hmm.
2: So I would. I, I would agree with all those terms. Yeah. Thank you. Well,
0: I. I don't. Yeah. I don't understand the, the wanting to get into the like a pedantic ruling out of things being a Christmas movie or whatever.
1: And like the thing is that the whole movies being Christmas movies is already like nebulous as hell because a whole bunch of them, it was the studio literally being like, "Hey, keep your script." Entirely intact, but set it somewhere between December 23rd and 26th. Like, put a Christmas tree in the background and then we will put it out at holiday time and people will love it. Like, the connections aren't massive in the first place. It's all about the vibe, you know? It's about the feeling. Mm
2: -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Those are all the best ones uh, to me. Uh, Anything that's like and this does not at all speak to my christmas experience i have uh, what is an aggressively normal christmas experience but for some reason i am drawn to christmas movies that are about sort of like the the loneliness of the holidays and the the melancholy of it so any film that like properly mines that for mood and character storytelling is a far and away a better christmas movie than whatever the actual christmas canon is
1: Mm.
0: depending
2: on the film obviously
0: well, if if we take I think what is probably for for people of my kind of age um, I feel like home alone is basically the the quintessential Christmas movie for people of of, of my sort of you know would would have been like ten to fifteen through the 90s kind of mm. age so like spot on in terms of uh, being at the
2: right age when that came out and having it marketed to you and everything. Um- well, you lucked out because I'm a little bit younger than you guys. And for for us, it's the goddamn 2000 Grinch. <laughs> I fucking knew you were going to say <laughs> that, that. That's what it is. It, it Seriously, that's the movie that's always playing. And I refuse to acknowledge it as anything other than this like grotesque fever dream that was brought I, on by Y2K, and like, for that's that reason, it. that's what that I movie love is it. To me.
1: It is a fever <laughs> dream, and it's fucking great. Like I, I saw that at the cinema when it came out, and I was just like, "This movie is fucking creepy as shit." And it's I've horrifying. watched it. I, I've watched it a lot of Christmases since then. But uh, when I was like very little, and when DVD happened, my I was just obsessed with watching the making of featurettes of everything like over and over and over again and the shit behind the design choices in this movie (laughs) is crazy. There's like a 10 minute talk with one of their set designers talking about how they were like Taking inspiration from Mesopotamian architecture and like, <laughs> <laughs> all this crazy shit. And also all of the early tests. So you know for the Who's they just did that weird upper lip thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna to ask what did them they into say dog about dog children. Well well, so that was the very toned down version of what they originally wanted to do. Because the original ones had like full face masks that were these complete grotesques like just crazy, exaggerated cheeks and, like, weird eyebrows and all this stuff that were, like, fucking horrifying. <laughs> so what we got looks fucked, but it's still far better than the alternative. Oh
2: my God. They spent $125 million making that movie. <laughs> and it was worth every
1: cent. All I know is I hate the kid that plays Cindy Lou. Her, her fucking singing in that song is... Um, <laughs> it's not good. It's bad.
0: The, yeah, there's something about the whole um, the whole idea of trying to make a live action adaptation of a Doctor Zeus book that did not work out well. The Cat in the Hat is a similar.
1: Oh, The Cat in the Hat rules! I love that movie. That's funny as
0: hell. Um, yeah, but it's weird though because the like The Cat in the Hat as a book, it's it's like it's similar to to The Lorax and all the other shit where they've taken like a twelve page long children's book and said, ah, let's make a clean hour and a half out of this. And so they have to throw all this other shit. And in the case of the cat and the hat, it's all like the the cat going, daddy,
1: horny. And like <laughs> just <laughs> extremely weird shit. Oh, yeah. They've got like the car that's like the, the acronym that it spells out or whatever is like shit or something. And they're just like the whole thing is no one can say it because it's a kid's movie.
2: Yeah, so- there's, there's always that joke too where Michael Myers in that horrifying makeup uh looks over at a like a like a gardening hoe and he calls it a dirty oh, hoe. And yeah, then yeah. he like smirks at the camera. <laughs> you dirty hoe, yeah. And just a quick reminder that uh three time Oscar winner Emmanuel Lebeski, the cinematographer for that film. The man who also <laughs> shot Gravity, Children of Men, he shot Cat in the Hat. <laughs>
0: oh man i did shows it (laughs) it it really makes you wonder with that sort of stuff like whether like you know i I certainly i don't begrudge anyone in that position from just going oh they offered me several million dollars of their 125 million dollar budget um (laughs) to shoot this stupid thing cool I don't begrudge anyone from doing that, but it does make you wonder if anyone started the process going, "Well, it says here that they they were taking inspiration from Mesopotamian architecture, and I'm
2: I'm really excited about this movie." Yeah, whether they were somewhat misled,
3: <laughs> who, knows? Yeah, well, it's, who knows? It's
2: just really funny to me that he finished shooting Michael Mann's Muhammad Ali biopic, nice. and he had one project he could do before he started up a new Terrence Malick film, and he was like, "Yeah, Cat in the Hat." Kind of that's out. fine that's the one I'll kill knock some this time. one over
0: <laughs> I threw on the, uh, the that Ali uh, the Michael Mann one the other day and like uh, I'm so torn about Michael Mann's use of like the digital cam because
2: oh man we're gonna be- fight we're gonna fight right now overseas oh, no, I, I
0: was just gonna say it, it totally <laughs> it totally works for me and it's fine in stuff like Black Hat and um Miami you know, Vice so- yeah, like that—that that sort of stuff. Um, collateral, you know, it's—it's it's fine for me in all those movies, but in a movie that was—that's like, a, yeah, a biopic set in like the fifties and sixties, it just seemed incredibly anachronistic to be really aware of a digital technology happening while you're watching, like Muhammad Ali, you know, jogging along and doing mm. road work on the street.
2: Yeah, I would say because I think that was his first foray into that kind of. I think it was the first one where he ever experimented with uh, using digital uh, uh, photography. And he eventually would extend that. Like, that was basically Ali was a a, a, a test experiment for collateral, which he would shoot entirely that way. But um, eventually he would do uh, public enemies, which is also a period piece. Yeah, that was another one word. really crisp digital images, but used... Unlike Ali, I think for a more, or what maybe he wanted to do, but did better in Public Enemies is he wanted to take these legendary mythical characters, these figures, these people who have, you know, histories, and he wanted to kind of like put you on the ground, like you're watching camcorder footage. And it really throws people's eyes off because they're not used to watching movies that way. But with Public Enemies, it is a case of he wants you to see the pores on John Dillinger's face, which is not a look you would get, you know, doing... You know, sixteen millimeter, trying to like uh, capture the time period.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a it's an interesting debate that whole thing because, like you're saying, on one hand, I uh, like like I'm sure a lot of people um, who are very online would have seen that thing that like Tom Cruise posted to his Twitter account recently, uh, where fucking... it was like, yeah. I'm taking a break from filming uh, a Top Gun sequel... To tell you to turn the motion smoothing off on your TV... And like... It sucks...
1: Listing the various other things that it might be called by the manufacturer as well...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah... It's like... Well, they aren't all called the same thing... So you're gonna have to fish around in the menu there... And <laughs> all this kind of stuff... <laughs> like... I... um, I... Also... Like... Don't like the motion smoothing stuff... But on my TV... You can go in and change the setting for that, like per individual input, right? Mm. Um, so, uh, so you could, for example, say, "Oh, have have like you know the highest refresh rate and all that sort of stuff on for the the channel that you have your video game on, um, but don't use it for the for the input that you play your you know your Blu-rays through or whatever." Um, but the problem is that my TV also has like apps for stuff like Netflix and that sort of thing, and if you use one of those apps and then you say, I want to go to the menu where you control this thing. It just exits the app. Oh. So there is no individual control over those things. So like I've, I've just had to live with motion smoothing on like my Netflix and my Plex oh, server and stuff like that. That's so now my wrong. brain is just like, okay, I've, I've compensated for it now. I'm ignoring it now. Um, <laughs> That's rough. I mean, not like rough, rough, but it's not ideal. It's not ideal, but you know, you get used to these things. But um, but yeah, like uh, you know, obviously the the motion smoothing stuff really bothers people. What about the all the rumors about that? Um, not the rumors, but the reports of the reactions to Peter Jackson's attempt to do like a million frames per second. Oh God, um,
2: yeah, I, I saw that. I saw the first Hobbit in that whatever, like sixty-four frames or whatever. Yeah, it looks. It just looks horrifying. You just you, I mean, if it was done in a movie where they were intentionally trying to, you know, have you l- look at something that way, like it was meant to be something, but it 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 wasn't. It, you you can just more easily tell that Ian McKellen is on a soundstage and covered in makeup, and yeah. like that's all you get out of it. Even in like
1: at a regular so, frame rate, though, the effects in that movie looked horrible. Everything oh, yeah, had like a really plasticky sheen to it that was just like. Oh, it was very unpleasant to look at.
0: See, I feel like the the only the only context in which I feel like that sort of that sort of super high um, you know, reality looking frame rate would work for me is something like either a recording of like you know, a dance performance or something like that, or you know movies um I'm I'm trying to think of examples, but like, movies that are adaptations of plays, and they have very deliberately made the adaptation, like, quite stagey on film. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they've only sort of got one or two locations and, or the the whole thing's in quite a sort of static
2: frame or whatever. Yeah, Um, anything where you're highlighting the theatrical or, like, I would say, like, artificial qualities of something, that style would work. Yeah, maybe stand-up. Like, um...
0: But but yeah, generally, I think the whole twenty-four frames a second, twenty-four frames a second. Um, it just there's something about it. It just gives. Oh, it's forty. Yeah, forty-eight. Twenty-four is what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like the normal sort of twenty-four frames a second. Something about that just little artificial sheen where your brain goes, "I'm watching a movie now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in this. I'm in the fantasy world now." You know I'm what? not watching Ian McKellen on a soundstage
1: This might be a controversial take <laughs> But I'll take 10 You know uh, what The movie will be half as big Physically the file uh, Probably less work for animators Everyone can sort of take it a bit easier I probably won't notice um, <laughs> Probably won't notice no, I'm yeah, not paying a lot of attention So it'll it, probably be fine we'll
2: see how it goes alright hold on before we get too far Andrew yes what's what's your Christmas movie of choice everyone's well, gonna get really mad that we didn't actually talk about any Christmas movies we'll, we'll talk about Christmas <laughs> oh, they'll be mad for other reasons regardless yeah there's always somebody mad um, we already defended Die Hard when it didn't need any defending. oh yeah true we <laughs> got at least <laughs> one
1: mad person
0: <laughs> so uh, I will answer this question and another question simultaneously which is that we got a question from friend of the show um, Arca 90s who says, What movie do you or your family habitually watch around the Christmas holidays? Um, that isn't related at all to Christmas or Die Hard. Oh, I didn't read the <laughs> isn't related at all part. I was gonna say, I, I think that um I think that I, I would like just watching Home Alone around Christmas time to be my new family tradition. Cause it's mm. um it's it's got just the right Christmassy feel for me. It's got that John Williams score of the the little little playful score that it's got going on there it's a very lots of snow and christmas lights kind of movie you got people trying to murder children um everything that you want at Mm -hmm. christmas time basically you got some shoplifting uh you got parental neglect you got all these things and more um You, you gotta
2: you gotta teach them young you know
0: yeah it does it does feature exactly what you were saying you are not looking for in a Christmas movie Josh which is um, that the whole underlying uh, message being that Christmas is really about the family it's really about being with your family Mm -hmm. Um, and we we were watching it last night and my wife said um, you know she she like me must have seen it dozens of times and she was like oh I never this never clicked with me before that like the the supernatural element to the movie which is him at the very start of the movie angrily saying to his mother I wish I didn't even have a family I wish that I wake up tomorrow and it would just be me he learned his lesson yeah and then he uh his his wish magically makes a fucking tree fall down over the power lines or whatever um but yeah there there is that whole element of be
1: careful what you wish for
0: you might mm. suddenly be an orphan who is um, <laughs> trying to be murdered by Joe, Joe Pesci.
1: That's how that famous expression goes. Be careful what you wish for. You might suddenly become an orphan.
0: Yeah. Being, ch- <laughs> being chased by a young Daniel Stan.
1: Oh, a nightmare. I think we can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so, it's probably that one these days. How about yourself? For me? For me, yeah. the, the easy answer, and it has been since I was uh, a kid, was Batman Returns. Mm. This very much defined mm. my taste in movies because uh, I watched this VHS so many times, uh, and I never understood the movie until I watched it when I was twenty. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't really. I mean, I was just like Batman's doing cool shit. Catwoman's in it. There's penguins with like rockets strapped to their back. And then right. one day I watched it when I was I was twenty, uh, and I was like, "This is really sad and fucked up." Um, these characters are incredibly lonely. Batman just straight up murders people because, and he's not even a character in the movie. He's surrounded by all this very sort of gothic expressionist, uh, both filmmaking and architecture. And mostly he finds connection with two absolute psychopaths who want to murder everyone that's who he eventually ends up sympathizing and empathizing with um not to mention christopher walken makes an appearance as the uh, runaway capitalist who is propping up uh danny devito's all-timer performance as the penguin uh to run for mayor and to uh create uh, a surplus of energy that the town does not at all need (laughs) (laughs) uh And he murders a woman uh, in the process of doing that. And she is Michelle Pfeiffer, who becomes Catwoman and who, you know, the the working woman who's downtrodden, who ends up, you know, becoming empowered through agency and ownership of her actions uh, and in turn sacrifices uh, sanity to do that because that can't exist in her line of work. And the fact that that's what that movie's about and that I watched it on repeat as a kid, it just kind of blows (laughs) my mind. Yeah, um, uh,
0: yeah. All all of the characters. The the penguin is his primary motivation. Is mainly just acceptance. He just desperately wants to be accepted by by people above ground.
2: Well, and what's really amazing about his backstory, which is that he was born just this freakish-looking baby, and his two rich parents just threw him into the sewer and was like, "Gee, uh, that's that." Uh, is is that he is not at all differentiated from Bruce Wayne in fact he's compared uh, frequently to Bruce Wayne as a character, and other than the fact that Bruce Wayne is handsome, he would have ended up like Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus that's, that's the that's the implication. There is that he came from a rich family and would have, you know, hit that both of their parents would have basically built Gotham up as the city. Their old money families. Am I um, <laughs> misremembering this, or is there a part of the movie where
1: you see Danny DeVito's fucked up Penguin ass? <laughs>
2: You you see it through, like, these these wet, like, onesie PJs. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Oh, God. Well, yeah, we watched this at writing, Christmas like, so last year. Slouder. It and, looks uh,
2: exactly like that Hank Hill butt child. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: there's a uh, Doug Jones is in that movie uh, before he, you know, obviously started getting not leading roles, but big prominent ones. He's basically just like a contortionist that's walking
2: around. Oh, point. yeah. He's like the creepy clown, right? Yeah. <laughs> And of course,
0: um Pee Wee Herman as as uh the penguin's father who
2: throws him away. Oh yes, of course, of course. Well and the the most shocking part of that movie still is and the part I haven't mentioned yet, is it is a it is Tim Burton's flat out horniest movie. Mm. Um it is in love both with the obviously the look of Michelle Pfeiffer, but at the same time, Danny DeVito like talks about like oh. wanting to hook up with her and like eat her out and like talk, calls her a pussy all the time.
1: And um, that, yeah, he's got that weird fucking horrible line about wanting to fill someone's void. Like
2: fucking. yes, and he, he wants to flap his flippers or whatever. Oh. He says.
1: Jesus Christ! Yeah, he is horrifying in that movie.
2: Yeah, and I, I think. You know, just sort of like this very lonely identity crisis, anti-capitalist movie for some reason spoke to me in the Christmas time. No idea why, but that that's the one that did it for me as a kid and still does now. We just played it at our theater uh, for the December show, uh, retro show last year too. So, I got to watch it on the big screen last year with a big audience and yeah, just it, that movie still rips, so... <laughs> Yeah, we might and end up
1: watching that tonight, actually
2: That movie was, uh, like, the number two or number three uh, box office hit of
1: 1992
2: Wow, different yeah. times. <laughs> well, um, I, w- I was just looking here
0: at a b- piece of trivia Which is that during his appearance on Mark Marin's podcast Michael Keaton stated that he has never watched the completed movie He went on to explain that he only took the role because he needed money for a real estate deal <laughs> Great Never having watched that. There's yeah, there's also the bit with the penguin where he's um where he's very horny at like the the volunteer at the campaign headquarters and he's like putting yes. a badge on her tit and flapping it down. Very <laughs> oh. creepy character. Um but just yes, horrifying. All the characters, extremely lonely. Um Selena before she uh dies and comes back to life. Is she technically a zombie?
2: Catwoman? What she's got nine lives more than zombies probably.
1: Well, there's very
0: there's there's very much a suggestion that the the cats have magically revived her somehow, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. She gets she gets killed by her 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 boss.
1: Uh and then revived by Max Cat whatever. Power.
2: Shrek. Shrek. Shrek.
1: Shrek.
0: Shrek. Christopher Walken. Oh, love it, Christopher <laughs> Walken. My favorite bit of trivia about Christopher Walken is um that apparently he will just say yes to whatever movie he is asked to appear in, as long as it does not conflict with another movie that's already in his schedule, um, and that's how he winds up being in things like the the Country Bears movie and shit like that. <laughs> I think because, I
1: watched that.
0: Yeah, and, and then he just he just plays it straight. He just goes in there and goes, "Well, I'm in this movie now," um, which I like. I I definitely feel that you can get the sense from Christopher Walken that he is like that he actually is just going and doing a job as opposed to say like your your robert de niro's or your your um bruce willis's where they Mm. they clearly had um their their peaks in their careers and they are now just very sullenly trudging through like terrible director streaming dreck and not giving a shit about it the entire
2: time. Well, I'm even trying to think, like, what is a Christopher Walken vehicle? Like, what's, a, what's like a movie where he's the lead and not just some guy who shows up? The only one that comes to mind for me is uh, Abel Ferrer's
0: King of New York. King of New York, yeah. That's all I, I can get as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's about it for Christopher Walken. Other than that, he's just... Damn. I don't know. Surely he's got to be one of the most successful just
2: character actors of all time. Yeah, well, guy, I mean, he... a guy who's just in movies. <laughs> yeah, every, everyone remembers his scenes from uh True Romance. Probably the most. Uh I'm trying to think of what else he's really well known for. Oh, I think his um his monologue in Pulp Fiction. Mm.
0: Uh is extremely good. He's in The Deer Hunter. Uh, I was oh. I was recalling a little while ago one of one of my most embarrassing recent memories, I feel is that I, I got... Um, like when when we sort of go to country towns and the coast and stuff like that, I like to go through all the, the op shops and sometimes I will post Ben some VHS. Mm-hmm. And, um, Thank you. And buy some books and some records and stuff when they're extremely cheap. And I bought, um, I bought a book that was The Deer Hunter and I read it and I was like, wow, what a great book. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then... <laughs> And then at some point, I like uh, was reading about the movie. And I was like, it doesn't say anything in here about the novel it's based on. Uh, and then it took me a while to figure out that I had just read and really thoroughly enjoyed the novelization of Deer Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> there is no novel that that movie is based on. I was like, look at me, a smart guy reading a book. <laughs> and I was... I don't think novelizations count as books, personally Hey,
1: they can't take that away from you It's got a cover and some words You're a smart guy now I was just like, wow, what a serious novel And then at some point I was like, oh
0: no Oh no This This is just scene for scene They're describing
2: shots in here
0: Just like when you think about um, (laughs) just, Just the general artistic endeavor of, say, writing a novel Or a screenplay or a movie or whatever and I feel like the novelization is just the, the most tawdry bastardization of all of those things. They've just taken some, some you know, work, work for pay writer and said, Okay, watch this movie and just write, <laughs> write it down. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just write down this movie as best
2: you can. Well, that's got to be a good gig, though.
0: Oh, yeah. I feel like some of the, the worst children's books... Um, that exist are ones where it's like, uh, you know, from the 70s or 80s, and it's just write the plot of this this thing back out. You know, we've got like um, we've got like a, a a book that's like a The Sorcerer's Apprentice, and it's literally just like a novelization of the segment from Fantasia. <laughs> God damn, it's not good, and the kids want to read it over and over. Yeah. Uh, should we should we take a few more questions here sure all right <clears throat> let me see uh, ooh, ooh. Um, friend of the show Chris De Donna says um, Brazil has the best Christmas movie praxis discuss huh <laughs> the, <I believe> he's <laughs> talking about the, uh, the, the, the the film Brazil the film Brazil from Terry oh. Gilliam? Yes, <laughs> not the country. Were... Okay, hold on. Not the country. <laughs> <laughs> the, Terry, the Terry Gilliam movie Brazil. Oh, right. Sorry, I think I a was... few people uh, refer to this as, as a Christmas movie recently, and I haven't seen it recently enough to recall mm-hmm. the I Christmas-specific can't aspects.
1: No, neither have I. I. I have not seen it for a very long time.
2: Well, in that case... Um, All right, I, hold on. but before, well, before we move on from that one, yeah. uh, can, can one of you describe Praxis... I see oh. it. I see it online on your guys' side of Twitter, but it literally I'm
1: means the same as the word practice. It is <laughs> the, that's it. It is the outward expression oh. of your internal values or beliefs. It is oh. the practice of them. But it's a word that sounds smarter. Mm. Uh, okay, well, I'm probably it- hideously corrected for this, and I'm not going to read any of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, people, okay. people love to know say- that they're doing their political theory. <laughs> Um,
2: Well, if we are talking about Christmas movies with the best praxis, it's got to be Eyes Wide Shut or Black Christmas. Ooh. All right. Now, uh,
0: obviously, we don't want to make the classic mistake of confusing (laughs) Black Christmas for Silent Night, Deadly Night. No. Well, you can't.
2: So, please describe (laughs) to us the difference. Between Black Christmas? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Black Christmas is the... uh, the one where uh, the, central, the central part of it is that there is just a sorority house that's being terrorized by a really creepy dude who's making phone calls and picking them off one by one slasher style. But it is well known for being basically the originator of the slasher film alongside uh, uh, Bay of Blood. Those are by Mario Bava's Bay of Blood and Black Christmas. And then Halloween are kind of like the holy triangle of slasher. (laughs) But Black Christmas has a whole subplot uh, about the sorority house, about the central girl who's trying to have an abortion. um, And her really aggressive boyfriend won't let her do that and he never really showed that he was aggressive or possibly violent uh until she brought up you know her wanting to have an abortion and it coincides with the fact that there is a really really specifically creepy dude calling the house and murdering people and talking about how he wants to uh, do things to them like pigs and all kinds of really really gross mutterings um, uh, it's implied possibly because of some sort of abusive mother, but it's a guy who's really, really lonely at Christmas time, wanting to make other people lonely. Um, and it's very specifically, um, a male character and the, the main girl kind of gets it crossed in her head that at the same time that my boyfriend is being really aggressive and not cool with me having agency, my friends are being murdered, uh, and, who are all women. <laughs> so is it, is it the boyfriend in the end? No, but uh, what Bob Clark does that's kind of really interesting is he he still kind of, like, ties the two together, um, where he's just, like, he's probably not the killer because the killings started technically before he found that news out, but he had the capability of being the killer, like, inside him before it was brought out by the, the holiday season. Um, so... It's it's kind of like more about seeing the potential inside yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sort of. the big The big climax, anyway, is her running from the killer, and then the boyfriend showing up, and her stabbing the shit out of the boyfriend, basically. Um, And it's 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 seemingly in the screenplay supposed to be illogical, but Bob Clark's filmmaking does a really good job of getting you in the paranoid head state where you're kind of like. Yeah, that the boyfriend is if he's not the killer, he's going to be the next version of the killer. Yes. <laughs> She's really doing herself a favor at this point. Exactly. And um
0: so Silent Night Deadly Night is just um guy guy goes crazy and starts killing people with an axe while dressed as Santa, right? That's my recollection of that one.
2: Right. But one thing, and here's the thing, we we just did our our Christmas episode and we broke down for like an hour and a half, Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night. The thing we didn't know about Silent Night, Deadly Night and is seemingly never brought up about it is how psychologically engaged the writing is in his transformation into a murderous Santa Claus. It actually really, really tracks that transition in a way that makes sense. And it's kind of creepy um, how it just relates the idea that this young kid... He's been raised to idolize Santa Claus and this public image of Santa Claus and how everyone loves Santa Claus. And as a young kid, he sees a dude who's dressed up as Santa Claus uh, murder his dad, uh, sexually assault his mom, and then murder his mom. And he's immediately sent to a fundamentalist Christian orphanage <laughs> where they try to repress all those memories And are allowing Santa Claus, uh, you know, to come in and see all the kids, despite the fact that one of the kids is severely triggered by that. (laughs) And not only that, uh, he, he was told that seeing Santa Claus, staying up late enough to see Santa Claus was naughty. And he addresses the word naughty with how, with, with punishment and how Santa punished his parents. And then he sees these kids kind of like having sex in the orphanage, consensual sex, um, And the nuns basically spank the shit out of the kids for having sex and then spank the shit out of him for being a voyeur and tell him that punishment is good and punishment is great and all of this stuff. Uh, So, all of these wires get crossed in his head where he associates sort of sex with transgression and naughtiness uh, and then transgression and naughtiness with very, very violent punishment And that's really the first half of the film Before he even puts on the Santa Claus outfit And then, so all of a sudden When he's working at a department store And they're like, well, Santa didn't show up So you're going to have to put on the Santa Claus outfit (laughs) <laughs> and then he sees Destiny. he sees the girl that he's interested in at the department store and has fantasies about having sex with her and then in his dream Santa Claus comes in and stabs the shit out of him for wanting to have sex uh, he he sees uh, his potential girlfriend being sexually assaulted by a coworker, and he kills both the assaulter and then he turns and kills her because she was having sex which was naughty and then that <laughs> launches the slasher aspect of the film <laughs> Which is just a series of him murdering the shit out of people for being naughty, including uh, uh, Jamie and I went into it at length. But these kids who steal uh, uh, us, these like these 12 year olds who like steals the the snow sleds from these younger kids. And they're like, damn, we're so cool. We're going to steal these sleds and like go sledding and have fun. Uh, And as one is sledding down the hill he pops out from behind a tree screams punish and chops (laughs) the dude's head off and then the body headless body continues sliding down uh all the way to uh his friend who is cheering him on for being such a great sledder and then sees that the head uh the body doesn't have a head on it any longer now that's good christmas movie i
0: i have a special memory of that movie which is um I, I became aware of its existence when I was like in primary school, so like under under twelve, you know. And the the way it was spoken about was like uh, was like this thing is so messed up that it it's it's like illegal. It's illegal to watch this movie, you know.
2: It was really? very controversial at the time. They were like Santa doing mass murder, banned.
0: <laughs> like I, yeah, remember like. I feel like the only time that that sort of like um marketing really works, the whole like band in these countries, they don't want you to see this thing. It's super controversial and all that shit. It it works when you're like under fifteen mm. and you're like, Oh my god, this movie is so messed up that it's against the law to see it And <laughs> like so that was my my memory of that movie was was like having heard of this movie, this thing of legend you know, um, and then my my friends with their extremely irresponsible parents um, who did not care what they did. Um, one of those houses that that you would go and hang out with, and you when you're like a, a little kid, and you're like, oh, it's great over here. We can do what we want, and we can eat whatever we want, and we can do all kinds of stupid shit, and nobody tells us anything. And then as an adult, you go, ooh, that, <laughs> that was. <laughs> Oh, it turns out my my friends just had very neglectful parents. Oh, that's kind of depressing. Um, But there was a copy of Silent Night, Deadly Night floating around. And I distinctly Mm. recall the image of, uh, of the guy in his Santa costume with his axe in like a liquor store or something, you know.
2: Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He he does a hold-up at the first, like, five minutes of the movie. He steal, He kills a gas station clerk for, like, $20. <laughs> <laughs> this dude who's, like, so seemingly like a... They never explain this dude, this murderous dude from the beginning, and he never gets caught. So you just assume he's, like, a mall Santa who just, like, got fed up with the pay or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm done with it.
0: So, so <laughs> do either of you guys have uh, any any specific memories of, like, movies that were you know, mo- yeah, movies that were like, "Ooh, this was banned somewhere or, you know, you're you're absolutely not supposed to ever see this movie." Those <laughs> kinds of movies that had a had
2: a little urban legend around them, you know?
1: Mm. None none that spring to mind.
2: The only thing I can think of for for me is I guess uh the two first R-rated movies I ever saw and I felt like I was too young to be watching them. Uh Child's Play, Chucky. Mm-hmm um it literally gave me nightmares for years um the idea of a child's doll it was kind of like toy story but what if it was a slasher film it was horrifying um but the the main one the first one where i was like i don't think i would be allowed to be watching this was robocop ah yes beautiful is it (laughs) that, that that bit where he shoots the dude's uh penis off between her her dress yep. uh was like a one of the first moments where i was like he just, that guy just got shot in the dick <laughs>
0: <laughs> also the like, bit where the uh the guy um gets doused in like toxic sludge and is very melting oh, yeah he gets hit yeah. with the or, car yeah
2: i mean the dude uh who in the beginning gets uh the, the giant like military grade walking tank just blows him to pieces inside the corporate boardroom meeting. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, yeah. ed Two and I just goes to town on him for like a solid oh, yeah. a solid minute of shooting into him. <laughs> Absolutely
2: classic Verhoeven.
0: No, I just I just remember that stuff like uh, you know Fritz the Cat, like um, which was like a seventies seventies adult animation, and which which again all of these things I swear all of these things I saw. At the same house, I'm pretty sure. That's a Ralph Blackie
1: one, right? Uh, Same guy that did, like, Wizards and fucking the Lord of the Rings movie. I I think so. Oh, he's amazing. Very horny man. Deeply horny man.
0: (laughs) Mm. And I also remember at a different uh, friend's house, but with equally neglectful parents, um, seeing, I think again when I was under 12, seeing, like, Hellraiser 3, which is not the most full-on of the Hellraiser movies. No um, What is the most full on of the Hellraiser movies? One or two Yeah One or two definitely um, The Hellraiser series as far as I'm concerned stops at number three um, num- Number three is already I'd, getting
1: like I'd stop more kinda... two as far as I'm concerned And then it restarts briefly for four And then it stops again Which one was four? <laughs> uh, that's Hellraiser in space Hellraiser oh. Bloodlines yeah. See, see, the problem with the Hellraiser movies
0: is that, like, the, the first one's Clive Barker one. It's good. It's very good. That's fine. The second one um, does, like, a nice bit of expansion of oh, the
1: universe. So fucking cool. Just having, oh, like, the-, the big evil force in the universe just be a giant fucking D8 that's sucking in, like, black space shit. It's the noise amazing. that it makes.
0: The noise that it makes is so good. Oh. Um... But but yeah, both of those I kind of find the third one um, is starting to get a bit starting to get a bit silly, and then from that point on, I feel like they get further and further away. It's it's very similar to me to like all of the Saw sequels, um, where the the Saw movies like started off with a concept and then they kind of spun it out a bit, but by the time you get into like four and five and six and shit like that it's very obvious that they have just bought a script for a very middling, like, knockoff of seven or something like that. Just a, a really shitty uh, cop thriller. And they said, write in a scene at the start where someone uh, says something about a cube. And then at the end of the movie, we're going to pay for approximately 60 seconds of Doug Bradley in the pinhead makeup to say, all right, you're coming with us. Mm-hmm. And like, that's it. That's yeah. it for the movie. They, they, they basically get further and further away from having any actual connection to, to the Hellraiser mythos. Very sad. Sad stuff. Number one and two, though. Great stuff. Uh, number three stars... Um, uh, the, the lady who played Reggie in the TV show Becca.
2: <laughs> that's
0: that's the only I'm glad one. I
2: know that. I'm glad yeah. I know that.
0: Um, who was also alongside uh, Shawnee Smith... Who was in several of the Saw movies. So there you go. That's how we join those franchises together, folks. Huh. Huh. Um, hey, hey, one last thing before we go. Which is a friend of the show, Justin McCulloch, says... Wake in Fright is the quintessential Australian Christmas movie. There and we a, go. <laughs> and That's the take piece. I was waiting for. And a companion piece to Paul Kelly's How to Make Gravy. Discuss. Um, sure. Sure. Yes. You don't need to know about the gravy song, Josh. That's nope. a whole other thing. <laughs> but I believe you guys
2: discussed Wake and Fright on the show recently. We just did Wake and Fright very recently, and um <laughs> we just assume that's what Australia is now. <laughs> that's just that's just your representation. So
0: uh Oh maybe well, I- maybe forty years ago, but now uh we all live in on like uh, cattle farms but we have like streaming services that's it it's exactly the same but we have netflix
2: nice well it's 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 a very uh fun uh movie about how peer pressure turns you into a murderer um hmm. and uh y- yeah <laughs> very very uh sweaty uh filled with lots of psychological hysteria and uh weird primal impulses. So we were we were very happy uh to to watch that and I actually think it's a really good companion to the other Christmas movie we didn't end up getting to eyes wide shut which is also a lot about weird sweaty sexual impulse uh except it's more it's just beneath the veneer of what you believe is there. And you should just, you know, look away and ignore it, which is, I guess eventually what Wake and Fright tries to argue, too. <laughs> just go back to being a school teacher. Just forget that all of that happened. That uh, you had sex with Donald Pleasance in a drunken, violent uh, hysteria. Yeah. Who among us? Who among us,
0: you know? <laughs> well, we will probably wrap it up there, folks. Um, a Merry Christmas Eve and a Merry Christmas to you um we -hmm. will have a bonus episode come out on the old patreon this week patreon.com forward slash but then we're going to have a week off over the new year and treat ourselves off to a cheeky cheeky week off and then we'll be right back in the new year um you can find josh on the sleazoids podcast which i believe is on uh itunes and all all the other jazz all the mm-hmm, other places mm-hmm. that you like it. Um and if you do like it, you can find extra episodes of that on Patreon as well. You can. Anything anything else you wanna you wanna plug or anything, Josh?
2: Uh no, I'm pretty good. I mean if you guys wanna you know follow on Twitter, I'm the Josh L, but that's basically it. All we do is Uh, talk about, talk about movies and specifically a lot of genre and exploitation movies over on Slezoids, which we've had Andrew on twice. We'll probably have him on again in the future. Uh, That's good because
0: I I spend far too much time thinking about which movies I want to come on there and talk about.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Every single one of our guests comes on and is like, man, it's just like you get to like program your own theater for like a week. Uh, So, and, and Andrew, I've never seen Cobra. So, if you want to bring Cobra on. Oh look You could certainly
0: make a good <laughs> um, A good double header of uh, Fascist 80s action movies Out of that one
2: Hell yeah Alright sounds good Alright well
0: uh, Ben do you have any final thoughts for us Before leaving? Final thoughts
2: for the year?
1: Uh, just have a, have a sick one uh, <laughs> but, You know You might not celebrate Christmas But regardless Take a few days to just fucking Sit down And do nothing And stare into the distance and uh yeah, you treat yourself. You've earned it.
2: Yeah, see, save any beast moding for 2019.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: That's right. store up some beast energy before
0: <laughs> before you hit beast mode in the new year. All right. Well, thanks everybody. And uh we'll see you in 2019. Bye. Bye. Bye.